you are new, you picked a really great week to be here because we're kind of right in the middle of our Abide series where, where Jesus is really kind of walking his disciples through and preparing them for what lies ahead once he dies, rises again, and ascends to the right hand of the Father. And so what he's doing now in these five chapters in John's gospel is he's preparing them essentially for the biggest race of their life. And in some sense, he's really kind of trying to set their expectations because how many of you know that the Christian life is most definitely the best life, but it's not always the easiest life, is it? It can be really challenging to love Jesus and to, to follow his ways, especially in the world in which we now find ourselves and, and live. Um, just last spring, my, my son, Judah, who was seven years old at the time, decided that he wanted to learn how to fish, you know, and, and I don't know where he just, man, he just, every day he was at, daddy, can we go fishing? I want to go fishing. So uh, being the dad that I am and I wanted him to have a really good experience, I, I went on Google and I, and I searched uh, stocked trout ponds in Western North Carolina, right? And so, um, man, I just want him to have a good first experience. And, um, and so we go to this trout pond and there, and there are actually two of them and they are so full of trout. Like you could just basically bend down and grab one out if you, if you really wanted to. And we fished for about an hour and it was awesome. He loved every second because every other cast, he had another one on the line. So we had this big old, big old bag of fish, man, at the end of it. He was pumped up and I was taking pictures of him. Like he was the champ, the best fisherman ever. And, uh, and we go to the checkout, and this sweet little old lady's like, hey, you want me to fix them up for you? We're like, yeah, sure. So she gutted them and cleaned them up, and all we had to do is come home with those bad boys and just cook them up. And Judah still, to this day, has not stopped talking about it. He's like, man, I love fishing. I love fishing. And he's like, dad, when are we going to go fishing? And so what I'm trying to do now, because he's asking me to go again, is I'm trying to prepare him for the real thing. <laughs> I don't want to burst his bubble, so I might take him back to a trout pond one more time before I, but I'm trying to tell him, like, man, it's not really like that most of the time, man. Like, uh, you're, you're oftentimes you're out there for seven hours, and it's hot, and it's sweaty, and you're just slapping the water, and you don't catch a thing, and you know, it's, it's totally different. So I'm trying to set his expectations for the real world of fishing. Now, Jesus' disciples had been living with Jesus for the last three years. At this point, they had been watching miracle after miracle, they had huge crowds following them around. I'm <laughs> just a picture like Peter and Paul stopping, like signing autograph. Are you one of Jesus' disciples? Yeah, let me, let me sign your ball cap right here. Don't put that on eBay, right? So they just, everything is going super well. And Jesus has just promised them in the preceding chapters some really amazing things. If you remember back just a couple weeks ago, he's like, man, I'm gonna leave you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's gonna be awesome. And not only am I going to prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back for you. And I'm going to bring you to me so that where I am, there you can be also because I love you. So he's, he's promising them this awesome eternal future. He also promises them that once he leaves, he's going to send his Holy Spirit to empower them to do these great works. Essentially, he's talking about the launch of the church. And he's going to send the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, to guide them and direct them in life and convict them of sin. Like He's given them all these incredible awesome promises, and, and in essence, the disciples have been fishing in a trout pond, right, for the last three years with Jesus. They, they've been fishing in the Jesus trout pond of life, 
And now he's trying to prepare them for real life in the real world once he goes. And so what he's gonna do, what we're gonna see in the text, is he's gonna give them three, he's gonna give us three keys to prepare for real life as followers of Jesus, are three keys, three ways to prepare for opposition. And listen, church, we, we need these things. I, I know this is probably not one of those messages where you're, you're gonna walk out of here and be all hyped up and excited, but this is, this is one of those messages that we need to hear. And I, and I needed to hear this as I kind of processed through this, this this last week. So we're gonna be in John 15. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and head for John 15. At least that's where we're gonna start. John 15, and we're gonna start in verse 18. And this is Jesus speaking to his 11 disciples. Judas has betrayed him at this point. He's gone, so he's down to the, the core 11. And this is Jesus teaching them and us. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. So here's what Jesus is saying. This is the first key that he's giving us to prepare us for the real world. So Christian, key number one, expect that haters gonna hate, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Haters are gonna hate, expect it. They hated me first, they persecuted me first, you're my disciples, so guess what's on deck for you in your life? Surprise! Right? They're coming after you too. They're gonna hate you. They're gonna reject you. They're gonna persecute you too. Now, some of you have already experienced this to some degree in your lives. Some of you decided to follow Jesus, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, and your experience was, man, you had a group of friends or contacts, and they begin to exclude you because you begin to follow Jesus. They even maybe perhaps begin to mock you. Some of you have had families that have actually discouraged your faith walk with Jesus. Others of you right now in this moment, I have no doubt, are feeling ostracized right now in your school, on your college campus, in your career, career field where you work, perhaps your neighborhood, for no other reason than the fact that you love and follow Jesus. Now, I can remember when I was in college, gave my life to Jesus, really began to follow him as a sophomore, as 20 years old, had a group of friends, pretty big group of friends that I, I thought were good friends at the time, had a girlfriend, we were pretty serious, we were talking about a future together, and I'm telling you, I, I began to follow Jesus, and I lost all of it. It's like I would, I would walk in the room, and they would just turn the other way, right? They, they had no use for me anymore, because I wasn't doing the same things that they were doing every weekend. It was It was over. In fact, at that time, my, my job uh, on the college campus was I, I worked in the local pizza shop. And I, and I can remember the very first time someone mocked me for my faith in Jesus. It was this girl that I worked with, and she actually dated one of my sweet mates. And she said, hey, I heard a rumor. 
And I said, yeah, what's that? She said, I heard you, uh, you decided to follow Jesus. You're one of those Christian people now. I said, yeah, that's right. I decided to follow Jesus. She kind of snickered under her breath and she said, did they used to feed you guys to lions? <laughs> right? Just, just begin to, just little barbs, little, little, little mocking things like that. And can I just tell you, as a 20-year-old kid in college, that wasn't a whole lot of fun. I, I, really, I really didn't love it because I was kind of a part of the cool kids club and then I definitely wasn't a part of the cool kids club after that. Now, here, 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 here's, if you're young, this is good news. It gets better, right? That one of the cool things about getting older is that you start to care less and less about what others think of you, right? If you don't believe me, just walk around Walmart and look at everybody over 40 in the store, right? <laughs> Half of them are still in their PJs haven't brushed their teeth in a week. Some birds flying out of the bird nest. I haven't bathed in a month, right? That's why I try to go to Target to do my shopping, right? That's, listen, the bottom line is at some point, you just don't care anymore. And in some ways, that's a, that's a gift. As I've gotten older, man, as I've gotten more comfortable in my own skin, right? Because, man, I know I have people in my life who love me, and so I'm at the point in my life now where it's like, man, if you like me, that's great. We can be friends, and if you don't like me, that's okay too, because you're probably going to hell anyway, and I'm not gonna have to deal with you there. Relax, relax, that's a joke, relax. Don't tweet that out, just kidding. So Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is that, listen, you need to expect it. All right, you wanna love me, you wanna follow me, this is what you need to expect. Let them drink the haterade. You keep loving me. Keep your eyes focused on me. Keep pointing the haters to me, right? Now, let me just give you two cautionary tales that go along with this point. Number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, make, listen, make sure that you're not wearing spiritual camouflage. You say, man, Chris, what the heck are you, what are you talking about? Listen, if you are not experiencing any opposition as a follower of Jesus, if you are not experiencing any pushback in your life, I just wanna say, that should be a red flag. So let me, let me just ask you, do the people in your life, do the people that run in your circles of influence, do they even know that you're a follower of Jesus? I think you may have heard this illustration before, but I think it's a good one. If you are on trial for being a Christian, if you are on trial for loving Jesus, would, they, would there be enough evidence to convict you and the reality is for, for so many of us, good or bad, so much of our life happens now on social media. So let me just ask you this. Would anybody scrolling through your social media feed have any clue at all that you love Jesus and follow him? Or could you just as easily be an atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, or anything else? I'm just saying, some of y'all need to take the spiritual camouflage off. You don't have to be weird about it. Nobody's saying you need to go get your grandma's old 40-pound King James Bible and dust it off and take selfies with it every day, like spending some time with the Lord, Facebook, Instagram. Nobody's saying be weird about it. But people, listen, listen to me. People should know that you love and follow Jesus. People should just know that you love and follow. Your, everything else that you're excited about in your life gets posted, right? Your spouse, your kids, your vacation, the favorite meal that you just ate. So are we excited about Jesus? Are we not excited about Jesus? Do people in your life know what you're about? Are you wearing spiritual camouflage because you're somehow afraid or ashamed or, or you don't know what somebody might say or what they might do to you, right? So that's one cautionary tale. Make sure if you're not experiencing pushback, make sure it's because you're not wearing spiritual camo. Here's the second cautionary tale. Make sure that if you are facing opposition, 
that that opposition is because of your allegiance to Jesus and not just because you're a grade A jerk. All right, can I say that in church? I guess I just did. Yeah, make sure that it's not because you're a jerk, right? It could be that you're hated not because you're a Christ follower. It could be that you're hated just because you're a nasty, off-putting person, right? I've met Christians before that are just kind of rude people, mean people, cold people. And I just want to say, listen, bro, take off the martyr complex. People don't like you, not because you love Jesus. People don't like you because you're just an unlikable donkey's rear end, right? That's why people don't like you. It has nothing to do with your faith at all. So I would just say, watch out for both of those pitfalls. If you're never opposed, you ain't doing the Jesus thing right. If there's never any opposition, if there's never any pushback in your life, you're not following Jesus the right way. Likewise, if you are being opposed, just make sure it's for the right reason. Make sure it's not just because you're being a big, huge jerk, all right? Now, let's, let, let's move on. Watch out for both of those, those pitfalls. Now, if you are, here's, here's the incredible thing. Cover to cover, the Bible says, if you are opposed for following Jesus, our response should be joy. Did you know that? It should be rejoicing, not shrinking back, not hiding, not, not developing a victim complex. It should be empowerment. It should be joy. Listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, this will be on the screens for you. This is Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon. This is what he says. He says, blessed are you when others revile you. That means criticize, when they're mean to you, when they exclude you from the cool kids table, when others revile you, you're blessed, Jesus says. When they revile you, when they persecute you, and when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What's our response, Jesus, to being treated this badly in the world? Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now understand this. All of Jesus' original disciples experienced this in spades. History tells us that all but one of them were actually martyred for their faith. Some were stoned. Some were speared to death. Reportedly one was thrown off a roof. They tried to boil one in oil. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Peter was crucified upside down after watching his wife crucified the previous day. They all experienced opposition for their allegiance to Jesus and they expected it, they welcomed it, and they embraced it. And what Jesus is saying to us, I believe, as his modern day disciples in America in 2021 is expect it. You should expect to be opposed. You should expect to be rejected. Haters are gonna hate. Just embrace it. Why? Because Jesus is worth it and our reward is great. Jesus continues on. He's gonna give us now the, the second key to living in a world that will oppose us. Verse 26, watch what he says. But when the helper comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now we spent whole Sunday, two weeks ago, talking about the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're gonna spend almost the entire Sunday talking about the Holy Spirit again. Jesus is circling back around again to the Holy Spirit. Why is he going back to the Holy Spirit so many times in this short little five chapter section of scripture? Because the Holy Spirit is the key to this, this whole thing. Jesus is going, listen guys, I'm about to send you the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is going to bear witness about me and he's going to empower you guys to bear witness about me in the world, even in the face of great opposition. Now, you guys, if you're, if you're movie lovers like I am, you may have noticed that superhero movies, I, I guess superhero movies have always been kind of popular. I remember as a kid, Superman, Batman, all that kind of stuff. But it seems like increasingly, superhero movies are, are really gaining a lot of traction and a lot of popularity. So you've got big companies like, like Marvel and DC, and they're, they're kind of pumping out these blockbusters almost every year now. So I wonder, like, if I could just take a poll, what would, if you could pick one super, you only get one, if you could pick one superpower, out of all the superpowers that we see in these movies, what superpower would you choose? Like, I'm, I'm guessing some of you maybe would choose the superpower of, of being able to fly. Like that, I think that might be mine. I would just love to be able to fly places. Um, some of you might, and I might choose like a cloak of invisibility or, or something like that. Some of you might choose like, I don't know, superhuman strength. I don't, I don't know. But I was, when I was in college, I discovered a superhero power that I, I didn't know existed. Um, after the, the pizza job that I worked, I actually got to work in, on my campus gym for uh, two or three years. And so, so basically what that meant was I got paid to work out all the time, which was, was kind of awesome. And, and so I got in, in pretty good shape and, and it was pretty, for a while there, believe it or not, I was pretty jacked up. And, um, and so I came home one summer and I was with my dad and we, we were gonna rotate the tires on, on my car. And so my philosophy back then was sun's out, gun's out. So I had my, my, my cutoff t-shirt, you know, my, my, my muscles out trying to show off, you know. And so dad, dad hands me, dad hands me the, the tire iron. He's like, okay, all you gotta do is you gotta just r- rotate it this way and, and pop off the lug nuts. And so I, I get down there and I kid you not, man, I, I, was, I was pushing and I was straining as hard as I could to pop these things loose. And I was like, man, I, this thing will not butt. Maybe this one's broken, I'll try another one. And so I try to know it and that thing will not, and I hear my dad laughing in the background, right? I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, come on, muscle boy, you know, go, put, some, put some muscle into it. And I'm like, there's no way my noodle arm, 45 year old dad is gonna be able to I, budge this. So he's like, give it to me. So he takes it and he's just like, he just does, he goes around all the tires and just does them all. And so I discovered in college that there is a superpower called old man strength, right? Did you know that? That's a real thing. I did not know that existed. Apparently, when you hit about 40 to about 60, you get this superpower. Some of y'all teenagers, you tried to wrestle your dad before you thought you had him and he just whooped you. That's what it is. It's, it's, It's that superpower of old man strength. I have now inherited that superpower from my dad. And so my kids are now in the challenge stage where they think they can beat me at stuff. So they're like, hey dad, let's race, you know, or let's arm wrestle or let's wrestle. And can I just tell you, they have all gone down in a blaze of defeat every single time because I now have that superpower that my dad had, right? The old man strength. And I just wanna tell you, the only superpower that's better than old man strength is the superpower of the Holy Spirit of God, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. And so Christian, he's saying key number two to living in a world that will oppose you is you need to embrace your superpower, the Holy Spirit. You have been given the Spirit of God for the purpose of being a witness to King Jesus. Now here's the best part about that. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be an employee with crew, a ministry like crew like Kelly Birch. You don't have to be any of those things to really embrace and experience this superpower because the power doesn't come from you at all. It comes from the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Just think, I think this is the best example. Think back to the story of Peter, the apostle Peter. 
Peter, pre-Holy Spirit, let's be honest, he was a, he was a big wimp, wasn't he? Pre-Holy Spirit, Peter was a really big wimp. In fact, the night, the night that Jesus was arrested, you guys remember the story, right? He's kind of watching this mock trial from, from a distance, and scholars believe that a, a middle school-aged girl recognizes him, right? So you got this 12-year-old girl, this 13-year-old girl who recognizes Peter and comes up to him and says, hey, hey, I know you. Aren't, aren't, you, aren't you one of Jesus' guys? And three separate times, he denies Jesus, right? He's, he's a coward, and then Acts chapter two happens, right? The Holy Spirit comes. Peter gets the Holy Spirit superpower and he becomes this fearless, bold guy like we had never seen before, right? He gets up, he preaches the very first Christian sermon. 3,000 people believe the gospel, give their lives to Jesus, are baptized. Then as we read the book of Acts, we see authorities begin to arrest Peter. Oftentimes they throw him in prison. Other times they beat him up. Each time he just basically says, bring it on. You're not gonna stop me. As long as I'm breathing, I'm gonna keep doing this. Eventually he's crucified and he just tells him, hey, do it upside down, right? I'm not even worthy to die the same way Jesus died, which is like maybe one of the biggest flexes in human history. They're about to execute you. You're like, man, just flip that bad boy upside down for me, all right? You're gonna crucify me, just, just flip it up. No fear. What changed? He was scared of a middle school girl and now he's like, flip the cross upside down. What changed for Peter? He got a superpower. And if you love and follow Jesus, you have the same exact superpower inside of you because the Bible says that you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, he empowers us to live a Jesus-centered life and to bear witness to our King. Now maybe you've heard the saying, this is true, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. You ever heard that? I think it's absolutely true. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And what that means is, believer, Christian, you have everything that it takes to live a powerful, super effective life in the kingdom of God. And do you wanna know why? It's not because you're so awesome or you're so smart and you have so many Bible verses memorized. It's not actually not about you at all. The reason that you can live this incredible, powerful, kingdom-centered life is because you have one inside of you. He is the power source to accomplish all of these things, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Now, I remember um, Cheryl and I, after we got married, a couple years after we got married, we moved to, uh, to Indonesia for two and a half years as, as missionaries. And it was illegal for us to be there as missionaries, so we went in as, uh, as uh, English teachers. And so we basically taught college students English, and, and we did that for a couple of years there. And we, we decided we were gonna start a Friday night Bible study in our home for uh, college students. And it was a little bit risky because um, you, you couldn't share your faith about Jesus with anybody who had a Muslim background. And so about half the kids that came came from like Catholic backgrounds, weren't believers. About half the kids that came came from Muslim backgrounds, they also weren't believers. And I remember, you, you know, there was, there was part of me that was a little bit nervous, right? Because I'm like, man, the authorities could bust in here. They could arrest me. They could rough me up, but the, the reality is I'm American. Probably the worst that's gonna happen to me is they're, they're just gonna put me on a plane and kick me out of the country. But so we, we did that faithfully for, for two and a half years, just had college kids, and that thing grew. First we had you know, eight kids show up, and then we had 12, and then we had 15, and then we had 20 college kids coming. And I remember one time I gave, listen, no joke, I gave the simplest gospel presentation that anybody could ever give. Just like the most elementary, 
weak sauce, Jesus loves you, and you can have a relationship with God through Jesus. Like that, that was it. And one of the young college kids raised his hand and he's like, man, I wanna follow Jesus. I was like, really? Are you sure? Did you hear what I just, I thought that was terrible, but I'm glad that something happened. And so, and so I got to pray with this guy, he's 20 years old. He gave his life to Jesus. I got to disciple him for a year. He graduated from college, went back to his home island, led his 65-year-old father to faith in Jesus. And then a couple of years later, went on a mission trip to another country. And he went into a village that missionaries had been trying to get into for decades. And he got a church started in that village, man. And I look back at all that and I say, what did I do? Nothing. I did nothing. I gave the weakest, flimsiest gospel presentation maybe in human history, and the Holy Spirit took my weakness and just flexed, right? Just showed his power through my weakness, through my fear, through my insecurity, and did an incredible work. Now, I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. I don't know how specifically he wants to empower you in your circles of influence to be a witness for King Jesus this week. But here's what I do know. He wants to do that in you. And he can do that in you. And if you love Jesus, you have that same spirit living inside of you. And so, Christian, I just want to implore you this morning, embrace your superpower, the Holy Spirit. Don't shrink back when people oppose you when they reject you, when they marginalize you, when you get kicked out of the cool kids club in your neighborhood or your high school or your college. Instead, look for opportunities to point people to Jesus and I promise you, the Holy Spirit will empower you in those moments and he'll do cool things that you never even imagined were possible. All right, okay, last key Jesus gives us to prepare us for the real world, for real life opposition starting in chapter 16. We're just gonna go for the first four verses and then we'll be done, all right? Chapter 16, starting in verse one. This is what Jesus says. He says, I have said all these things to you as my disciples, why? To keep you from falling away. He's talking about endurance here. To keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues or, or the churches or the cool religious clubs. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus is saying, listen, there is coming a time where people will reject you because you love me and you follow me and you believe my word in the Bible. There's a time where you will be persecuted, and listen, there's a time that's coming where the culture will be so twisted and deceived that they will actually celebrate your abuse. They will celebrate your death even. They will think it's a service for the greater good of mankind and society. And look, I understand for, for us as com mainly comfortable, let's be honest, mainly comfortable American Christians in 2021, sometimes we read passages like this and it's really hard for us to grasp because the reality is we can gather in a very large room like this and there's really no fear right now that the government's gonna bust in here and start arresting us or start um, you know, executing us or throwing us in prison or anything like that. But you need to understand this. For most of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, this is their daily experience. You go to Africa, you go to Asia, you go to the Middle East. This is their daily reality. 
where they are literally putting their lives on the line, literally, for following Jesus. Just a few years ago, 2015, some of y'all may remember, there were 21 Egyptian men who were kidnapped in Libya and beheaded by ISIS as their murderers chanted, Allahu Akbar, which in Arabic means God is great. And Jesus just told us 2,000 years ago in chapter 16, they will hate you and they will kill you and they will think when they kill you that it's a service to God. And this is happening right now, maybe not right here, but all over the world to thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the globe. Now the interesting thing, the amazing thing is I read the account about this experience. None of those 21 men flinched in the face of death. None of them flinched, none of them tried to run away, none of them cried for their mama, right? So some of them even reportedly were mouthing the name of Jesus as they stepped from this life into the next. You see, these brothers were prepared to endure to the end because their highest treasure in this life was Jesus alone. And so here's the final key that Jesus is giving us to prepare us for the coming opposition. He's saying, Christian, number three, you need to train for endurance. You need to train for endurance. This is not a sprint. The Christian life is a marathon. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a ultra marathon. For those of you who are runners or, or cyclists or athletes, man, you, you know you can't just roll off the couch one day and go run a marathon, right? And you could, but you're gonna die at mile seven, right? They're gonna come scrape your corpse off and take you to the morgue, right? You can't do it. It takes preparation. It takes a lot of training. I remember when Cheryl and I first got married, she has a twin sister who lives in, in South Africa and she'd gotten married uh, just a little bit before us and her husband at the time was an Olympic swimmer. So he just finished swimming in one Olympics and he was training to swim in, in the next Olympics. And, and his whole life, I remember when I first met him, his entire life was based around preparing for the rigors of his race, right? His whole, whole life, from the moment that he woke up, everything that he put in his mouth, every, everything that he ate, how he trained during the day, how many hours he slept at night, everything was geared towards finishing his race strong. And what Jesus is saying to us here is he's trying to prepare us for the challenges of finishing our race strong. Because the reality is there are too many people that seem to start the Christian race strong but are nowhere to be found at the finish line. And I want you to understand this. Jesus wants you to start strong, believer, but he wants you to finish even stronger. And what that means, what he's saying, this group of five chapters in John's gospel is he's saying in order to accomplish that, in order to finish strong, in order to run your race strong, right, in order to endure to the end, you need to do a couple of things. First of all, you need to abide in me. We looked at that last week, didn't we? You need to abide in me. You need a relationship with me. You need to spend time with me consistently. The second thing he tells us you need to do is you need to learn to walk according to the Spirit. You've got this incredible superpower that so many Christians never tap into because of our own fears and insecurities. And he's saying, listen, you, you need to learn how to walk according to the spirit that lives within you. And then today, he's telling us the number three thing that you need to do really is you need to be prepared. You need to train for opposition. And when opposition comes, man, we don't, we don't shrink back. We, we, don't, we don't go hide in a corner. We don't, we don't develop a, a victim mentality. We, we count it as a privilege, as an honor, as a joy 
to suffer for and with King Jesus. I want you to listen to the apostle Peter. This is what he writes in 1 Peter 4. It's on the screens for you. Peter writes, but rejoice insofar as you share what? Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter three, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may what? Same thing, same verbiage. Share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Peter and Paul apparently hadn't read Joel Osteen's bestseller, Living Your Best Life Now. Just, I guess it just hadn't got there yet, you know? Hadn't really affected their theology yet. But here's what Peter and Paul are both saying. They're saying, listen, we wanna share in, the, share in the glory of the resurrection of Jesus, yes, but we also understand that means sharing in his suffering as well. And we wanna be like Jesus. We wanna be molded more and more into the image of Jesus, and we understand that that is absolutely impossible apart from suffering. Now look, we, we live in a nation, at least for now, where we are likely not going to be kidnapped and beheaded for our faith. But I think we can all agree that our culture is not moving to a place where Jesus and the people of Jesus are more and more celebrated or even tolerated. More and more in our culture, we are moving to a place where those who love Jesus, who follow his teachings and his ethics in the scriptures will be considered narrow-minded and bigoted. In fact, some of you have probably been called those names by other people, right? Christians are narrow, we've, we've heard these kind of false straw man arguments. You're narrow-minded, you're bigoted. Now, I'm just telling you, I'm not a, not a prophet, not the son of a prophet, but I'm just telling you the language over the next, I'm just predicting it, over the next five or, 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 or 10 years, the language is gonna change from you guys are narrow-minded and bigoted to you guys are dangerous. What you believe, your, your belief system is dangerous to our nation, to our culture. That's, that's, that's kind of the pathway, that's kind of the track that we're on. And so more and more, we're gonna be marginalized, we're gonna be pushed to the side, we're gonna be rejected, you're gonna be persecuted because you love Jesus. Now never mind the fact that none of those things could be further than the truth. The reality is the days of following Jesus and being a part of the cool kids club, those days are over, y'all. They were over. Now, when I was a kid, it was kind of cool. Everybody's a Christian. Every politician, whether they were a believer in Christ or not, they kind of said they were Christians so they could get votes. There was a day and age we lived in a Christian culture and Christian context, and to be a part of the Cool Kids Club, you actually had to pretend to be a Christian even if you weren't. Those days are over. If you want to follow Jesus now, if you want to follow Jesus in the future as a believer in America, you're not going to be a part of the Cool Kids Club. You will face opposition you will face rejection. You will be misunderstood by your neighbors, colleagues, and friends. And they will hate you because of who you love and who you follow. And I'm just gonna say this, while, while many Christians, and listen, I'm there too half the time, while many Christians kinda, kinda are bemoaning the fact that we're no longer in a, Christ, a primarily Christian culture, while many believers are kind of bemoaning the fact that we are being uh, more and more marginalized in the culture, here's, here's what gives me great hope. Here's what gives me great hope. The church has always, listen guys, the church has always been most effective from the margins of society. Did you know that? If you ever study church history, you'll know this to be true. 
The church has always been most effective and most powerful from the margin of society. In fact, almost every great movement of God in the world has happened when the church was not the dominant culture, but an alternative to the dominant culture. And again, I'm not, I'm not a prophet, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a son of a prophet, but I'm just telling you, here's what's gonna happen. Over the next five or 10 years, as more and more people discover that our secular culture makes big promises that it can never deliver on, and they, they have questions and they have deepest, their deepest longings are not met by our culture, and there are gonna be more and more people that kind of leave our culture and they're saying, man, I've tried everything our culture says is gonna make me happy. Man, 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 I've tried establishing my own truth and I've tried just kind of living by my own sexual ethic and I've tried materialism and all this other kind of stuff and I'm empty and I'm broken inside. Everything they told me would make me happy was a lie. And more and more people are gonna experience. So here, I'm just telling you, here, here's what I, what I think is gonna happen. I think over the next five or 10 years, there's gonna be an absolute tidal wave of cultural refugees who have tried everything in our culture and come up empty and they're gonna be searching for meaning and purpose. And listen to me, the church of Jesus Christ has the answer. And there are gonna be millions of people who are cultural refugees and they're gonna be looking for an answer that we have. So church, I'm, I'm just telling you, what if, just dream with me for a minute, what, what if God is preparing his people, preparing his bride for the next great movement. What if that's what he's up to? And the thing that so many of us bemoan in our culture, what if that is the very thing that God is going to use for something incredible and powerful to reshape the hearts and minds of our people and our culture and our nature? Church, I'm just telling you, I believe that our best days are ahead of us. I believe that our greatest opportunities are not behind us in the good old days. I believe our greatest opportunities lie ahead of us. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, listen, guys, I love you. It's gonna be hard. And it's gonna get harder. And you will be opposed. And you will be rejected. But I want you to understand, I've sent the helper. And he's gonna be with you and he's gonna empower you, and he's gonna encourage you, and he's gonna convict you of sin that you need to get out of your life so you can be used fully by me, and he's just gonna enliven you to be my witness even in a world that opposes you. And listen, guys, I want you to endure to the very end. Don't shrink back. Don't be ashamed. Don't, don't give up on me. Look, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm gonna come back for you and it's gonna be awesome when I take you to that place but between this day and that day, listen, it's gonna get tough. It's gonna get tough so I want you to abide in me. I want you to live empowered by my Holy Spirit and I want you to prepare. I want you to train for endurance because listen guys, in the end, I'm worth it. And in the end, it will all have been worth it. I wanna close with words from the Apostle Paul in Romans Chapter eight, this will be on the screens for you. As the band comes, Paul writes this. He says, for I consider, and listen, if you're walking through some hard stuff right now, if you're, if you're suffering right now, if you're walking through a season of pain or confusion or rejection or loneliness or anxiety, this word is for you. This is from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God in Romans. He says, for I consider, 
that the sufferings of this present time, whatever it is that you're suffering with right now, whatever it is that you're going through right now, I consider that the sufferings of right now are not worth even comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying to us is, guys, listen, church, believer, glory is coming for us. Jesus is returning and he's gonna make everything right that's wrong. And he's gonna wipe away every tear. And everything that went wrong, he's gonna undo and he's gonna make right and it's gonna be beautiful and it's gonna be awesome for those of us who love him and follow him and he's given us his Holy Spirit who's inside of us, who is with us constantly to live in a world that sometimes does oppose us when it feels like the world's crashing down on us and the world doesn't get us and doesn't understand what we're about. And he's given us all these promises and they're all true. They're all gonna come to pass. And so believer, let's learn to abide in Jesus. Let's learn to listen to his spirit. Let's learn to be bold witnesses in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our college campuses, in our high schools, in our middle schools. Let's learn how to be bold witnesses that endure to the very end, even in the face of opposition, because in the end, Jesus is gonna be worth all of it. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, we're, we're grateful for the fun, encouraging passages in the scriptures, but we're also thankful for the very real passages in scripture. Thank you, God, for not withholding hard truths from us. Thank you for not sugarcoating reality for us. You never promise us as your sons and daughters that you're gonna remove us from the pains and the trials and the sufferings of this world, but you do promise to walk with us through the valleys of this world, God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives within us, that guides us, that comforts us, that directs us, that convicts us, that challenges us. So God, would you teach us to expect opposition, not to shrink back, not to be surprised, but to actually embrace it as an honor that, man, we, we get to suffer with Jesus and for Jesus. This is an honor. And one day we're going to be with him forever and every single insult and every single time we got rejected and every single punch or every single thing that happened to us will have been so worth it because it was all for him. So God, would you teach us to embrace the Holy Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit, to allow him to embolden us, to be his witnesses in the world, God. And then finally, God, would you, would you train us to endure? Would you teach our hearts that this is not a sprint? This is a marathon. This is, the, this is the long game. Teach us to endure to the very end, to cling to Jesus to our last breath on this earth before we step into eternity with you. And we love you. We thank you all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing.